Have you ever found yourself wondering about the role that Canadians played in old-time radio? Well, wonder no more. During the next 60 minutes, we'll delve into the careers of actors, writers, and directors who went abroad to find work, as well as those who stayed right here in Canada. Join me as together we explore Canadians in old-time radio. Good evening. I am Devin Wilkins, founder and president of CATRA, the Canadian Old Time Radio Alliance. And uh, if you have some time, I would invite you to have a look at the website. It's www.catra.ca. My main purpose, however, is to welcome you to another episode of Canadians in Old Time Radio. It's time for us to return to Crocus, Saskatchewan, and another episode of Jake and the Kid, which is from our Made in Canada segment. And uh, tonight's episode is called Dirt Independent. And the kid. I guess the public life is a hard one. Hear him talk, working for your country, province, town. I noticed a sort of note of complaint running through the speeches of most of our politicians last while. Right from Mayor McTaggart and his counselors on up through the provincial field, right clear to Ottawa. One thing I always admired, a fella'd take his duties, citizenship serious, and go to work wearing out his voice, campaigning, let his business go to H, pull up, leave his home and his family, to go to Regina or down to Ottawa, right out of pure, unselfish devotion to his fellow Canadians. All that sacrifice, and all they expect to get out of it is criticism and hard work and disappointment out of how stubborn and thankless your average voter is. Wonder they get anybody to run at all. From Crocus, Saskatchewan, another Jake and the Kid story by the Canadian novelist and playwright W.O. Mitchell. Starring John Draney as Jake with Billy Richards as the Kid. Original music is composed and conducted by Morris Certain. Production and direction, Arthur Hiller. Dirt Independent by W.O. Mitchell. Mind you, I, I'm just a hard man, work for kids' ma on their farm near Crocus. I don't get a chance to be right up on the workings of our country's law-making machine. All I got to go by is what I see with Mayor McTaggart and his counsel, what I hear, what I read... Then there's old Doc Fothingham that's our member, or was, till he retired from active politics a year ago. Got a little rough on the Doc near the last there. I mean, 
There was the rough and tumble when he went away for Parliament. But when he got home, couldn't go in for his mail to the post office. But what a bunch of fellows. Some of us got to wondering about that bridge, broken shell bridge. Said you were going to get the bridge raised. I heard you promise it when you spoke in the credit union hall. Pitcher water on the table there, thumbs hooked in your vest. I'll raise your bridge, you said. Vote for me and I'll see All that... All right, boys, hold on. i only been back a couple months. What now. about our road, Gladys Ridge? These things take time. Wheels within wheels, we're not I the only I never one. did think you'd get that bridge raised, but graveling that Gladys Ridge road of ours was the main plank in your platform. I intend to do everything I can. That was three years ago. We still got that Look, double road. Look, if you let me... Thing I... like raising the bridge, that's one thing, but that road, we didn't think that'd turn out to be a campaign promise. It isn't. It wasn't. What's wrong with Look, the I'll see you all later. I just got off the train. Mrs. Fotheringham's waiting supper for yeah, me. We've been waiting that bridge and that road for longer than we expected we'd have. No doubt about it. She told on the doc's help. He wore himself right down for us. Next thing we knew, he had a sort of attack. Then he announced he was withdrawn from the political arena. Folks began to sort of look around them, see who'd be taking Doc's place. Right away, there was sort of a rash of speeches broke out all over town. Albert Ricky, he was just supposed to say a few words at the meeting of the Knights of the Loyal but Purple Homesteaders, thanking the ladies' auxiliary, the United Church, for the lovely turkey supper they put on. He got rolling, didn't sit down for over an hour. Tell me he did real well. Forgot to thank the ladies' auxiliary, but he spoke right off the cuff. And there wasn't a member of the loyal but purple homesteaders didn't know that if they were thinking in terms of candidates for the coming elections, Albert K. Rickey was a man who could think on his feet, express himself good, be a credit to Crocus and Conception Riding. The signs were there all over town, in Malibu Brown's blacksmith shop, I say the government's got too far away from the people. Not the bankers and the storekeepers and the professional men, but from the man that works with his muscles, with his back and his arms. Got to have new blood there to represent that man. Now, I'm only a blacksmith, but... And any man that can run a barbershop, one-chair barbershop, they say he can run the business of this country. He can do it. What this country's needed for years, for a great many years, somebody to go in there and snip, take those taxes and shear them down, clip those costs government, trim and cut and shave, and then you'll be giving the people what they want. Yeah, repeat, Godfrey runs our barbershop. <clears throat> like I say, uh, all over town, fellas are sort of striking a pose, you might say. Ask them what they thought of the weather, where they'd go, like they was addressing convention stock growers association. Naturally, Mayor McTaggart, he cropped up in everybody's mind. Most people like Mac. For the same reason, some don't. Mac is real frank. Hard to say whether that'd help a fella in political life or hinder him. I've done my best for the people of Crocus, Jake. But I've been selfish, too. How's that, Mac? Guess it's in my blood. My father was a member. My grandfather was, too. My mother led the parade for women's suffrage. Sort of a hobby in your family. Uh-huh. When I entered municipal politics here in Crocus, 
Way back then, the germ was active. I'll be honest. I looked on the municipal field as the training ground for bigger things. Provincial? Federal. Now that Doc Fotheringham has dropped out of the harness, I'm ready for it. I think I've got the training and the experience for it that nobody else around here has. My talents and leadership are there for the asking. I haven't missed a meeting council in 15 years. I have paid out of my own pocket for 16 mayors, Reeves, and secretaries' conventions. Missed two antelope and four goose hunts to have an unbroken record. I'm making no bones about it. If they want me for a candidate, I want to run. I will run. I'll probably never again get as good a chance to run. Hell, Mac, I'd... I'd vote for you. Well, walking away from Max, I figured she was in the bag for him. Natural choice. If I'd stopped to figure it out, I guess I wouldn't have been so sure. Two things against Mac. First, he was the natural choice. Folks sort of put their backs up against something seems the simplest, most natural. Second, he wanted it. So there was two strikes against him right there. She rolled right into seating time, summer falla, steaming. That didn't stop folks from getting all steamed up about the elections, even the kids. Did you ever run for politics, Jake? No, 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 never had the time. Too busy being a hired man, working my fingers to the bone from the time my feet hit the floor at sunrise till the springs twanged at night. Gee, Jake, I figured you'd be in politics one time or another. I'll leave that sort of stuff to McTaggart. Fireman takes all man's time. But I always managed to be around when election time rolled by. Years ago, I used to be the election predictor for Manyberry's district. What sort of a... What's that, Jake? Fella tells which way the wind's going to blow. Political wind. I worked out a system. Trumpers election prediction system. Did it? Sure, sure. Oh, not, not the whole election, federal, but for the member, one fella in the riding, she was deadly. How'd you do it? Water. Water? Well, say, say there's a little independent dirt farmer candidate up there on the platform. Yeah? He's, he's rolling right along, orating all about free trade and the east squeezing the west during the summer of 32. He gets dry from so much hawking. How does he get the water for wetting his throat? Oh. In a glass. Somebody hands him up an ordinary kitchen glass. Ten-cent tumbler. Or, or maybe one of them thick-bottom glasses out of the maple leaf. He gulps her down, and away he goes about the freight rate differential, the high-cost implements, and parody wilting on the stem. <sighs> Might as well save his breath. He don't stand a chance to gopher through a 36-inch traction machine. Why not? Because he got his water out of an ordinary glass. Oh. Then the opposition candidate gets to his feet, stands there twiddling his watch fob, starts in telling the folks how the government is loosening around the taxpayers' money, pouring it out like irrigation water, how the Minister of Agriculture has a fine herd Holsteins he borrowed from the government experimental farm, taxpayers' cows, 
and how he's selling off the butterfat using the money to buy his wife a new vacuum cleaner and a refrigerator and electric stove whilst the taxpayers have to get along with the old broken-down coal oil burner and stumble up to bed carrying a smoky old coal oil lamp. Do they? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not a word of truth in it. But the folks expect it. Oh. Now, what happens? Well, his tongue gets tacky. The roof of his mouth gets dry from a rating. Does he get handed a kitchen glass water full of water? No, sirree, Bob. He gets a whole china pitcher twined round with forget-me-nots and roses. Cold water sloshing over his side. Does that mean he's going to win the election, Jake? No, 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 no. If that happens, there ain't... You can bet there, there ain't going to be no change. The opposition ain't going to win that seat. Long comes the member for the district. Steps forward. Teeters a couple of times. Away he goes, explaining how come the folks got their new road right through from Disraeli to Conception. He tells them how she'll run straight as a arrow, straight as the policy of the government, straight, right through Bean Fate and Estevan, clear to Regina. Through them golden fields of waving number one hard wheat, tilled by the sweat of honest brows, nourished by this fertile soil that has raised so many sturdy sons who died on the battlefields. Hand me a glass of water, will you, kid? Oh, sure, Jake. And the government is doing its best to raise the floor under wheat and to make sure the cost of living don't go up another notch. And they'll, they'll blow H out of the dairy products tariff. Here, Jake. Oh, thanks, kid. Ah, and it has been, it has uh, never been the policy of this government's member to sling mud. But since the opposition started it in the first place, it has come to the attention, our attention, that the opposition candidate just happens to have bought some, uh, the land on which the new post office now stands just three weeks before the government purchased it at three times the price he paid. They bring him water. Yeah? In a pitcher. Yeah? With a glass. Same as the second fellow. No, no. Cut glass, crystal glass. Poured out of a silver pitcher, sterling silver pitcher, winking and twinking from the way the Louis Riel chapter of the IODE shined her up. These sips are delicate, like he hadn't even needed it. Sets his glass down real slow, whilst the folks set out there in front of him like hypnotized frogs in a summer slough. Ladies and gentlemen, I rest my case. Watch that man at the polls. There is your winning candidate. Gee, Jake. Gee. Canada sure lost a real member, a statesman, when you stayed out of politics. Oh, fella can't do everything, kid. Being a hired man's full-time job and cleaner. 
Elections like train coming into the station. You figure she's way off, and then before you know it, she's rolled right up on you. Same way around Crocus. I went into town. I didn't even know they'd done anything about candidates. First thing I see is posters hanging up by the cash register, Wong Santry Cafe. Vote for Albert Rickey. Man action. You vote, I act. I kind of half expect to see McTaggart's up there, too, somewhere around town. I didn't. Took a dangle over toward Mac's store. I, uh, I must have gone about it wrong, Jake. You mean you ain't running on any ticket? That's right. But you, when we... I guess I must have been a little too anxious. Eager. Oh. Anybody but Albert Ricky. Hate to be turned down by the party for the likes of Albert Ricky. Yeah. My choice between them is repeat. Repeat running? That's right. I really reached the bottom of the barrel. Oh, his party doesn't stand a chance. Then there's Art Herman. <sighs> Art's just a sort of dust screen. Pretty hard to take, Jake. Seeing Albert Ricky nominated. Ashes. Ashes in a fella's mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that's too bad, Mac. Too bad. Guess I've reached the peak of my political career right here in the town council. Mm. Be satisfied with what small success I've had. Uh. Bitter disappointment. You know, Mac, things have changed some ways, political scene. And how's that, Jake? Old days uh, before social credit, CCF, always used to be independents. Uh, dirt candidates. That's right. Wouldn't be a bad idea if they was to have one of those uh, old-fashioned candidates. Once in a long while, those fellows used to get elected. Uh-huh. Mac, I, I, I think she'd be worth a try. I, uh, I, I'd like you uh, if, uh, if you figured you needed, uh, might need a campaign manager. Give me a ring, will you? Yes. Yeah. I will. I sure as H will, Jake. I hardly got out home before the phone rang. Too long and a short. She was Mac, real excited. Decided to throw his hat in the ring. Dirt independent. We started Mac's campaign off with a bang. Rented the Credit Union Hall. Had the town band there to liven her up. Mac got up. He never talked better. He ripped the government up the back. He hit the foreign policy, kicked her around. He tied into the domestic policy, left her in shreds and tatters. Took it run of the budget, and he jumped on her with both feet. He irrigated the whole southern Saskatchewan so as you could smell the sweet smell of wetter clear through that hall. His voice, hoarse with feeling and emotion, he tore into the cost of living and moved right on through parity, decentralization of government, to free trade. Soaring free and high like a gosh hawk, slipping her smooth shadow over the prairie provinces, like the sun coming from behind a black cloud of tar. 
They brought Max water to him in a kitchen tumbler. At conception, kitchen tumbler. Tiger Lily Schoolhouse, kitchen tumbler. Disraeli, they didn't bring back any water. And she was at Disraeli that it happened. Mac just climbing up for the top of his address. His voice cracked. Took another try at her. Cracked again. Time we got back to Crocus. Gone, Jake. She's gone. Worn right down to the larynx. All right, Mac. Don't worry. She'll she'll come back. You put cold towels in your throat tonight. She she'll be all right as rain in the morning. He was gone for good. Mac went dock-fathering him. Doc said he couldn't use her. Mac whispered he had to use her. Doc said he wouldn't be responsible for what happened. No use, Jake. This is it. Oh, Mac. Just five days campaigning left. I won't have her back. I, I got to throw in the towel, Jake. Look, Mac, a day... Rest her a day. That'll do it. What about Foxhole? Supposed to speak at the curling rink tonight in Foxhole. Well, don't don't you worry. I'll I'll pinch hit for you, Mac. All right, Jake. And a vote for Mac Taggart means just one thing to the people of Foxhole, Saskatchewan. Means irrigation. We'll dam the broken shell. We'll water Foxhole till she blooms like the rose. There'll be feathery rose carrots grown, sugar beets, corn, cabbages, and Foxhole, Saskatchewan, will be known the length and breadth of the North American continent as the flower basket, South, Central, Southern, South, Saskatchewan. And the Wrist Hill District will be known as the flower basket, of South Central, Southern, South Saskatchewan. And the Gladys Ridge District will be known as the flower basket of South Central, Southern, South Saskatchewan. Mac's voice hadn't come back at all. I took over from him. Broomhead, Ogama. She wasn't taking hold. We were doing our best, but she wasn't good enough. Dirt Independent isn't good enough if he's just as good as the others. He's got to be special. Foxhole, they brought my water in an ordinary glass. Tiger Lily. Conception. Gladys Ridge. 
enamel cup. I went to Mac. Mac, you 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 got a good platform. We're, we're giving it to him, but she's not good enough. I appreciate it, Jake. We should have let it go as soon as my voice. No, started. no, Mac. The trouble is, we we gotta give him something special. We ain't. Let it go, Jake. Let it go. I hate to once we picked it up. We 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 gotta lift them off their benches. Tomorrow night, right here in Crocus Oddfellas Hall, that's just what I'm gonna do. Speaking for your dirt independent candidate, Hilt McTaggart. Mr. McTaggart has asked me to tell you he's kind of lost heart in this campaign. Doesn't figure there's much point in carrying on as he's been doing. Looks like you're satisfied with any one of the other candidates running. They're what you've always been used to. They're promising the things you've always been used to. Mayor McTaggart figures you're a lot like kids at the fair. Y'all been to the fair before. Nothing new and different. The same old thing. That's what you want. McTaggart offers you something fresh and different. That's what you don't want. Candy. Candy cotton. That's what you want. Always get that at the carnival or the midway or the fair. Looks good, tastes good, smells good, costs like age. Only trouble with it is you set your teeth in it and she melts to nothing in your mouth. Nothing. We got no platform of nothing. McTaggart ain't in the candy cotton business, and he don't want to be elected by a bunch of kids at the fair holding up their hands for candy cotton. As far as Albert Rickey is concerned, you're a bunch of horses out in the pasture. And what's Albert doing? He's coming to you with a pan of oats held out in his hand, calling and whispering sweet to you. Here, Dolly, here, Dolly, Queenie, Empress, Duke and Prince, here you are. You're coming a-running, noses out for them oats, Albert Rickies. What don't you know? What don't you know? No more'n Dolly, nor Prince, nor Duke, nor the other horses been out in the pasture all winter. You don't know what Albert's got hid behind his back. Halter. Before you know it, she's over your head. You voted yourself right into the harness. And you're working and paying for it for the next four years.
You can catch them horses spring after spring with the same old pan of oats and the same old harness hid behind your back. All that. Water. And not in this here ten-cent glass. Bring on in a china pitcher. Now, the other candidates have been saying McTaggart has nothing positive to offer you. We have. We offer free trade, irrigation, parity, place to put your grain once you've harvested her. And that ain't all. Hilton McTaggart, if elected, will bend all of his energies and efforts toward one end, to free you from tariffs, from the threat of embargoes, to open the markets for your wheat and for your dairy products. McTaggart will take the border and turn around and run her north and south. Pete? I'll have some water now in the sterling silver pitcher. That broke the ice. Last day of the campaign, Mac carried on for himself. Voice all back. He never left the sterling pitcher once. They had to pay attention to him after I dropped that bombshell for him. Mac wasn't so fussy about the new plank I stuck into his platform, but he had to stand behind her. I guess he ain't the first election candidate had a plank shoved under him he wasn't so fussy about. Claims I pulled a whizzer on him. I don't know. What all them votes he got? Look at the folks in Maple Leaf, Malibu Brown's Blacksmith Shop, Drew's Pool Hall. You listen to them, they aren't arguing whether she's a good thing or a bad thing. All they're wondering about is whether she ought to run through Winnipeg or further east, round about Port Arthur, Port William. Make a real interesting maiden speech for Mac when he takes off for Ottawa. Real interesting. Dirt Independent was today's Jake and the Kid story by the Canadian novelist and playwright W.O. Mitchell. The original musical score was composed and conducted by Morris Certain. Production and direction, Arthur Hiller. John Draney was starred as Jake with Billy Richards as the Kid. Paul Kligman was Mayor McTaggart, and the others were Alan Pierce, George Robertson, Bonner Stewart, and E.M. Margulies. Technical operation was by Andrew Stewart, sound Bert Stanley. This is the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. From our Canadians Abroad segment, tonight's featured entertainer is Art Linkletter, who was born in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. We have an episode of People Are Funny from January 13, 1952, and it's called Violinist Plays for Money. Tonight... The most unusual movie premiere in Hollywood history. And the most unusual stars will be from 
People are funny. <laughs> and now here is radio's top master of ceremonies, Art Linkletter. A couple of weeks ago, one of our volunteers from this show gave away a dozen dead frogs in a nearby neighborhood and then learned too late we'd put a $100 bill in one of them. He went back to the neighborhood, said he was a frog inspector, and managed to find the right frog, and he got his $100 bill back. So now everybody's happy, except the frogs, of course. Okay, Rod O'Connor, who are we going to make unhappy tonight? Mr. Alan Glanville from San Pedro, California. Meet Art Linkletter. Hello, Alan. Hello. You're not really from San Pedro. No, 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 I'm from England. I'm just staying in San Pedro right now. Which part of England? From Sussex. And what are you doing in the United States, Alan? Uh, I'm studying commercial fishing methods over here. Both the stream and uh, 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 ocean? No, merely ocean. Uh-huh. Are you married or have you been caught? Uh, no, I'm still running. Uh-huh. <laughs> good, good for you. Well, Mr. Glanville, you were picked out of the audience from among a number of people who said that they liked music. What particular interest would a commercial fisherman have in music? Well, I have a hobby of music, and I make a point of going to whatever operas or concerts I can. Oh, well, then, with your background, you'd perhaps be able to say that you uh, could tell fairly good music from uh, mediocre music? Oh, absolutely. Uh-huh. Well, then, we'd like your judgment on these two musicians that you're going to hear in a minute. And they're back of the curtains on center stage, so you won't be influenced by their appearance. Just the music, and then you tell us what you think of them. All right, let's hear it from the first musician, and uh, listen carefully, Mr. Glanville. Oh, what do you think of that, Alan? Well, he's pretty hot. Uh-huh. Now we'll hear from the other musician back of the curtain. All right, Mr. Glanville. That's all we can stand. I mean, that's all time we have for right now. <laughs> Mr. Glanville, you've heard both musicians. Which do you think is the better? Well, I think the first one was. That's right. Do you think, for instance, that people would pay more money to hear him play, that is, the second musician, than the first musician? Well, no, I, I think the first man would get the uh, most money. Most money, naturally. Yeah. Yeah. Want to bet? Well, what's the bet? Oh, $100 worth of premiums against a uh, bucket of ice water. <laughs> Don't you think that's fair? Ice water? What about, what happens to the ice water? Well, really nothing much. You don't have to worry about that, Mr. Glanville, because I want you to see who you're betting on before you say. Now, send out the first musician, will you? And ladies and gentlemen, here comes one of the foremost violinists of the United States, Mr. Joe Venuti. <laughs> this is Alan Glanville, He's one of our top jazz violinists from the past how many years, Joe? Oh, about 25, 30. Yeah, dates back with all of our great masters, Paul Whiteman and the whole gang. And Joe, where are you playing these days? I'm playing at uh, Lyman's in Hollywood here. Uh-huh. Now, Mr. Glanville, would you want to bet on uh, Joe Venuti $100 worth of prizes against that bucket of ice water? That's a bet. Okay. Now bring out the other musician. Would you bring him out, please? Here's our second violinist. And, oh, he's just a little boy. Come on over here. Your name is, uh... Jeff Kaufman. Mr. Kaufman, how old are you? Eight. This is Mr. Alan Glanville. Hello. How long have you been playing the violin, Jeff? A month and a half. <laughs> uh, all of us are, are vitally interested in... What were you playing a minute ago? Merrily. Merrily what? We roll along. 
Oh, that's a new arrangement, Joe. That's a, you, who's doing your arranging now? Um. Do you know what arrangements are? Well, then there's no use thinking about it. <laughs> Jeff, you have been playing a violin for a month and a half. Mr. Joe Venuti has been playing one professionally for 20 years. i tell you what we're going to do. We're going to send Mr. Venuti and Mr. Kaufman both out onto the main boulevards of Hollywood with their instruments. Uh, do we have the tin cups, fellas? Bring out the tin cups. <laughs> Joe, you never thought you'd get to this, did you? Wonderful. <laughs> now, if Joe Venuti comes back with more money in his cup than young Mr. Kaufman, that means you win the bet. And Joe, to help your side of the bet, we have a big sign made to place beside you on the sidewalk while you're playing. Will you, will you read what it says there, Joe? Save good music. Give the fun and stamp off television. That's right. Give to the fun to stamp out television. Oh, we're fighting back in radio. So, in other words, Mr. Glanville, we're helping your man there. Uh, but the poor kid, only been playing a month and a half. He's such a cute little boy with big brown eyes. To help him out just a little, here is his poor little sister Gail sitting in a wagon. Isn't she a cutie pie? What's your name, honey? Gail. Gail who? Gail Henderson. Gail Henderson. How old are you, Gail? She's about three. She's sitting in a little red wagon with a little uh, kind of a peasant cloth wrapped around her head. And she's looking so winsome. And you pull her along and you hold your tin cup out, Joe, and you play. And you, you hold the tin cup, will you, Gail? Now, this is a very fair contest, isn't it, Alan? Right, take them out, fellas. Goodbye, Mr. Venuti. We'll, we'll hear from you at the end of the program. Say goodbye to them, audience. Now, Mr. Glanville, as you can see, over here in America, everything is absolutely fair. <laughs> what a report they'll get back in Sussex. I used to drive one of those things. Oh, no, it's an Essex. <laughs> Mr. Glanville, just so you'll be ready in case you lose the bet, would you mind going over there and sitting down under that bucket of ice water during the show? Uh, fellas, uh, put a rubber sheet around him. That's right. Now, when Joe Venuti and the young Mr. Kaufman come back at the end of the program, if Joe has made more money than the kid, Mr. Glanville will get $100 worth of premiums. But if the little boy makes more money, you'll find your musical judgment is all wet, Mr. Glanville, and so will you be. Listen to the bountiful premiums that you won't get if you lose, and they're all on display right over here. A beautiful automatic electric percolator that retails for $10.95. A portable mixer that saves time and trouble in the kitchen. Gorgeous sterling silverware. An $11.95 handy electric knife sharpener. Smart man's gabardine sports shirts. And dozens of other marvelous things. Every one the best of its kind, top quality, nationally advertised. Folks, you've all heard the old saying that actions speak louder than words. Well, people are funny. So tonight, we're going to test the truth of that old saying. And here to help us is a distinguished psychologist from the American Institute of Family Relations, Dr. Paul Papineau. <laughs> Good evening, Doctor. Now, you talk to many thousands of people about their, their lives and their characters. And is it true that you can tell more about the character of people, Doctor, from what they do than from what they say? Oh, absolutely. Just talk to a bunch of politicians. You'll soon come to that conclusion. <laughs> well, maybe we'll find out tonight. 
Let's get down in the audience just for fun and ask people what they do if they had only 24 hours to live. And then you tell us, Doctor, how their answers reflect their basic character. And it'd be rather interesting to find this out... This is Rod O'Connor speaking offstage where the studio audience can't hear me. Get this. The person that Dr. Papineau picks as the most unselfish will win $200 worth of prizes. See if you listeners make the same choice that Dr. Papineau does. Remember, the most unselfish person gets a $200 prize. Now back to Art Linkletter. And we're just about set to go with a young man who has volunteered, whose name is Mr. Leonard Hoffman. And what business are you in? I'm an inspector out at a plant making aircraft valves. Well, Leonard, what if you were suddenly confronted with the absolute fact, startling as it might seem, that you only had 24 hours to live? What well, would you do? Well, I used to have a boss, for instance. I mean, I, he paid me my money. I couldn't do anything else. But with only 24 hours to live, I wouldn't need that money. So what would you do? We're on the air, aren't we? Huh? Yeah, we're on the air. Oh, I mean, you'd go back? <laughs> we're on the air. In other words, you'd go back and you'd tell the boss off. Well, I told him off I left, but... But you'd... Oh, you'd do more than that. Oh, definitely. Thank you very much. There, there is one, gentlemen. What would you... How would you analyze his character from, from that general... Well, certainly very evident he's full of frustrations, Art. Uh, he has uh, had to put up with a good many things in life he doesn't like, and he's full of inner conflicts. He's a man with frustrations, no doubt about it. And if he had 24 hours to live, he'd try his best to resolve some of those. He'd unload a few right on the spot. I wouldn't want to be around either, if you don't mind. Let's talk to a lady over here. We'll be back to you in a minute. You're Mrs. Uh... Harold Melmanger. What would you do if you had 24 hours to live? Start praying for more time. You'd start <laughs> praying for more time? Yes. What do you think about that, Doctor? What kind of character does that reveal? I rather think that indicates a personality that doesn't like to uh, face the facts. Uh, she will always be looking for a chance to uh, get around what seems to be a difficult situation. She won't be willing to accept the inevitable. In other words, instead of thinking of something to do, she's thinking of getting more time to do something she hasn't thought of doing. That's it. <laughs> Here's a gentleman who's lived a good number of years. About how many, sir? Seventy. Seventy years. And your name is? Mark Dennis. What do you do, Mr. Dennis? I'm retired. I've been in the advertising business. Well, if you had 24 hours to live, what would you do at the age of 70 now? Well, I've been following a very strict diet for some time, and it's very uncomfortable. If I only had 24 hours to live, nothing would count for much. So I would indulge myself in those good foods that I like the best. <laughs> what do you think about that, Dr. Papineau? Well, I think there's a man who, to whom the good things of life in the way of eating mean a good deal. His uh, last thought would be uh, at the level of his digestion rather than at the purely intellectual level. Now, uh, here's our next guest, a young fellow by the name of... Uh... Lord Schaefer. What do you do? Oh, I'm a senior at high school. Uh-huh. Well, it's very interesting now to see what a man, a comparison between a man of 70 who has 24 hours to live with a boy in high school. What would you do if you had 24 hours to live? Well, since I was seven, I've been under the care of Crippled Children's Society. And uh, if I had only 24 hours, I'd like to give all my possessions, etc., to the kids of the society. You mean they've helped you? Yes, they've helped me a lot, so I'd like to help them. Well, thanks very much for that comment. What do you think, Doctor, about this young fellow? There's a real altruist. There's a man who, uh, due to uh, his own sufferings, has learned to take a lot of account for the sufferings of others. He's thinking outward rather than inward. You seem to be in good health now. How are you feeling? 
Okay, Nelson. What has been your problem in the past? I've had heart trouble. And now you're all right? Yes, sir. Well, fine. I'm glad on this show we should never have a volunteer with me. Thank you very much. All right. Here's a uh, fellow in his 50s. 59. 59. Almost in the 60s. Mr. Uh... Albert F. Anderson. Mr. Anderson, what business do you in? I'm in the title business. Title? Right. Uh-huh. What would you do if you had 24 hours to live? Well, in the first place, if I knew the very spot on which I was going to die, I'd never go near the place. <laughs> oh, that's a clever angle. <laughs> Seriously, however, that uh, I would probably put my house in order financially and spiritually and then communicate with all my good relatives and good friends as best I could. And say goodbye. Time is love, that's right. What do you think about that, Doctor? Well, there's a man to whom uh, friendship means a good deal. He's interested in having his folks know what he's doing. It's a dramatic situation. He would want to have them understand what he was up against. That would be one of his first thoughts. In anything that goes on, he'd want his friends to know about it. He's thinking more about his friends than a lot of other people are, and uh, with reference to his own very dramatic situation. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Well, we've had quite a variety, haven't we? We, I think, have proved tonight that people are funny. Some would think of their stomach... Some would think of their frustrations, some would think of their friends, and some would think of a spot not to go to. But what we uh, told our air audience that you and the studio audience did not know about was that the person, Doctor, that you selected as the one being the most unselfish based on what they'd do if they only had 24 hours to live would get a special surprise prize of $200 worth of prizes. And I almost don't have to ask you what your choice is. No, sir, it's Lloyd Shaker. The young fellow who would give all of his possessions to the Triple Children Society. Congratulations, young man. You're going to take home with you a couple of hundred dollars worth of our fine premiums up there. Maybe a beautiful wristwatch or some glassware for your folks. Anything you want. And by the way, each of the people we talked to tonight gets, as a little memento of their visit to our show, a lovely China-based lamp. And thanks to all of you and Dr. Papineau for proving once again that people are funny. Here's an announcement for you folks who like to put on plays. Little theaters, high schools, church groups, clubs, and so forth. We've published a full three-act play called People Are Funny, based on incidents from this program. It not only has a lot of stunts in it, but it's a complete play with a comedy story. For further information, write to People Are Funny Play, Box 2611, Hollywood 28. That's Box 2611. 1-1, Hollywood 28, California. Art, I want you to meet our next contestant, Mrs. Frances Anderson from Los Angeles. Hello, Mrs. Hello. Anderson. You were the housewife from Los yes. Angeles. Mm-hmm. And last week, Mrs. Anderson, on this program, we gave you five $20 bills, didn't we? Yes, you did. Well, we didn't quite give them to you. Oh. We had you address five envelopes to yourselves. Then we put one of your $20 bills in each envelope and dropped all five, unsealed, here and there, up and down the main boulevards of Hollywood. We wanted to find out if the people who would naturally look at these envelopes and open them up and find the money would mail it to you or keep it for themselves. Now, on each envelope, there was a note. Do you remember what the note said, Mrs. Anderson? Yes, the note said, uh, Dear Francis, understand you are a little short of cash lately, so I'm sending you the $20 I owe you. Uh, Regards, George. Now, here is the big question we've been waiting one week to find out. 
How many of the five envelopes did you get back? I got two. Only two. Were there any just notes two. in them? Did Nothing you... else. Just the note and the $20 in two envelopes. Well, did anybody at all call you and try to offer a split on the others? No, I, just, I heard from nobody. <laughs> and nobody developed a uh, call? Nothing? No, uh -huh. not a thing. Just two, uh, two of them came just a couple of days later. We figured they'd at least send a note on after taking the $20 bill out. No empty envelopes arrived, did not they? Not a thing. Somewhere in the listening audience right now, there are three crooks. <laughs> You feel just awful, don't you, Mrs. Anderson? I certainly do. Mrs. Anderson, you shouldn't suffer on account of our experiment, should you? No. So here are $60 to make up for the money that didn't arrive in the mail. Thanks, $100 worth for proving the people... <laughs> you folks in our studio audience are especially fortunate in being here tonight. Because, ladies and gentlemen, I have a special invitation from Universal International Studios to send two couples to the big premiere of Ronald Reagan and Diana Lynn's new motion picture at the Carthay Circle Theater right after our program tonight. Now, we'd like to have a couple of couples, married couples. Would you folks like to go? Come on up here. And uh, uh, the couple right back up here. Would you folks like to go? Come on right up to your seats. And come on down here because we'd want to find out if you'd like to attend the big premiere. You are Mr. Uh, Purslin. Mrs.? This is Purslin. Where are you from, Mr. Purslin? Fargo, North Dakota. What do you do up in Fargo? Beer distributor. What? Beer distributor. And, oops. Hello, Mrs. Uh, Hello, Mr. Swift. How are you doing, sir? Well, now, what do you do for a living? I'm in the refrigeration and air conditioning <laughs> business in San Diego. Okay. And you uh, have never been to a big premiere with Mobile? No. Uh -huh. Never have. Wouldn't it be fun? Sure would. Well, well, I tell you, you're going to have a wonderful time because as guests of people are funny, you four are going to be driven to this big premiere in a limousine with a liveried chauffeur. You'll sit in a special section with all the stars. Mrs. Person, won't that be thrilling? Certainly will. And by the way, one famous star does not have anybody to go with. And Universal International has asked us to get some folks to accompany him. Guess which one you're going with, Mr. Swift or Mrs. Swift, Ronald Reagan or Diana Lynn. Make a guess. Ronald Reagan. No, I'm sorry. You want to make a guess, Mrs. Swift? <laughs> I'll take the other one. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's Francis the Mule. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the stars at this particular premiere, all the stars are animals in honor of the animal star of the picture, Bedtime for Bonzo. He happens to be a monkey. But there will be Lassie, Trigger, Jackie the Lion, and lots of others. Say, you humans will look kind of out of place, won't you? <laughs> well, don't worry. We'll fix that up. Boys, bring out the costume. There's the jackass costume. Now, uh, Mrs. Swift, which end do you want your husband to be? The head or the tail end? Do I have to answer that? Well, which one would you like him to be? Oh, let's let him be the rear end. <laughs> All right, then, we won't have any arguments. Which would you like your husband to be? Well, he better take the other end, then. Okay, then it seems to be all set, and you two men can dress a little later out in the halls, and your wives will go along with you to this actual premiere. And after the show is over, you will go to dinner with us at one of the famous places here in Hollywood where the stars, the people stars, are going to be eating. Now, don't worry, nobody will make fun of you. Because this whole premiere is, on, uh, is being put on under the auspices of the American Humane Association and the SPCA. You'll be right at home. So goodbye, folks. Take your costume and you're on your way to the
folks, at the beginning of the program, we put a Mr. Glanville from Sussex, England, under a bucket of water on the stage while we sent famous musician Joe Venuti out on the streets of Hollywood to see if he could make more money playing his violin than eight-year-old amateur fiddler Jeff Kaufman. So uh, what was the bet made on those musicians, Mr. Glanville? Well, it was something about um, some prizes or uh, a bucket of ice water. That's right. We'll know whether you get $100 worth of Raleigh premiums or a couple of cents worth of ice water in just a minute. Here come the musicians from off stage, where they've been very busily engaged out on the boulevards of uh, Hollywood fiddling for money. Now, Mr. Jeff Kaufman, our eight-year-old boy, is pulling behind him a red wagon on which is seated a pretty, winsome, little three-year-old girl who is supposed to have been his sister. Jeff, where did you, where did you play? I played on Hollywood and Vine. Was there much of a crowd? Yeah. Well, what did you play? What number did you play? Uh, Merrily we roll along. <laughs> what would you play for an encore? Merrily we roll along? <laughs> yes. Yes, that's the one you know. Did the crowd seem sympathetic, Joe? Yes. Did they like you? Did they applaud? Yes. Uh, any remarks at all? Mm-hmm. What'd they say? Well, they said, uh, <laughs> my sister was very nice. After they heard you play, they all applauded and said your sister was very nice. The, uh, <laughs> are you listening, Mr. Glanville? I heard, yeah. You know, for your information, you're here researching fish. We have fish in the pail, too. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Venuti, where did you go to play? I played at the uh, northeast corner of Hollywood and Vine. Mm -hmm. Did you have a crowd? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. uh, any remarks at all about the sign that asked to give money to stamp out television? Oh, uh, none whatsoever, but they donated quite an amount of money in my little uh, tin cup here. Anybody recognize you by any oh, chance? Sure. A few people. <laughs> they say, yeah, that's Joe Venuti playing. Out on the street, fiddling with a tin cup. <laughs> Joe, there's a great living in this for you. You may think this up as a regular racket. I may try it. <laughs> now, uh, here is the big question. Which earned the more money? Good music played by a fine musician or bad music played by a couple of charming little kids? Now, remember, Mr. Glanville, you bet that the good music would get the most dull. If the boy collected more, you know what happens, don't you? I do, yeah. I get the ice water. Mr. Venuti, how much money did you get in your tin cup? I counted a dollar five cents. A dollar and five cents. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. You were only out there 12 minutes. But see, in a month, that'd be $8,000. <laughs> Jeff Kaufman, our eight-year-old musician, how much money did you get by actual count with your three-year-old sister holding the tin cup? Because people are funny. They don't know good music from bad. Isn't that right, Mr. Glanville? Now I know how the fish feel. Do <laughs> you think there was any scientific value to this experiment, Mr. Glanville? None, whatever. <laughs> Why not? Well, I, I think Mr. Venuti was, was a very fine violinist, and everybody knew it. But uh, they were biased in favor of the little boy. I mean, uh, what do you mean they were biased? Well, I mean, the American people are very open-hearted and um, generous people, and I think, uh, in spite of the fact that Mr. Venuti was uh, very fine and accomplished violinist, they, they were in favor of a little boy, because, uh, after all... No, well, sure I don't know, maybe... <laughs>
eloquence, Mr. Glanville, has won you the sympathy of this audience. I think we ought to give him the prize anyway. <laughs> All right, Mr. Glanville, this big-hearted American crowd has just given away my prizes. <laughs> Goodbye, and thank you. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service, the voice of information and education. It was great to have you along this week, and I hope that you'll be able to join me next time. Until then, have a good week. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed the shows you've heard during the past hour, be sure to tune in again next week, same time, same station, when once again, we'll listen to programs that are remembered today thanks to the involvement of Canadians in old-time radio. This is Devin Wilkins speaking.